0: continue uh, in the series that we have been sharing in uh, in this evening Bible study dealing with the parables of Jesus. Uh, Tonight we're going to cover at least two parables and we might actually get started on a third and it's because they're all a part of a series uh, of parables that Jesus gives. It's found in the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel. So we invite your attention to that. Our main intention is to focus on uh, two of the parables tonight and deal with the third one next week, because the third one is long. Uh, the first two are fairly brief and can be taken together. Uh, the third one is uh, much, much longer. And so it, it uh, requires a little bit more time than we might have tonight the parables deal with the whole concept of lostness we have said before that jesus taught in parables uh, and he used parables because they were uh, a rather simplified way of teaching uh, that made uh, the word uh, accessible and understandable to masses of people uh the problem that Jesus was dealing with in that time is is not unlike the problem that we have uh, in our time today with regard to this idea of simplicity versus complexity in the teaching of uh, the word of God. I have often wondered, and, and, and I know what we were raised on because I was raised on it too, but I have often wondered why in the year of our Lord, 2019, uh, we still cling to the King James Version of the scripture, when there are so many, if if you're not in love with the message version, that's fine. It's my version of choice, uh, at least for now. It's the one that I think best uh, contemporizes the scripture and it is a translation and not a paraphrase. But if you're not in love with that, there are literally dozens of other translations of uh, scripture that you can use almost every single one is better than the King James Version. Now, I can spend the rest of my time tonight talking about why one is better than another from an academic standpoint, from a literary standpoint. That's not my issue. My issue uh, primarily is that the King James Version is written in 10th century English, and it's very difficult for uh, the common reader to understand. And so why we cling to that it's one thing when you didn't have nothing better. Uh, and, and and that's all that, that that you had. I remember when the Living Bible came out and, and my father loved the Living Bible, loved to quote from the Living Bible. And, and and a lot of people saw the Living Bible as a step forward. In point of fact, it was a step backward because because it, it, it wasn't a translation, it was a paraphrase. And in fact, if you still have a Living Bible, you go back and look at it, it does not, deny what it is. It does not hide what it is. It says a paraphrase of the King James version of the Bible. What's the difference between a paraphrase and a translation? Uh, A a translation involves scholarly effort. It involves actual word study where you go back, look at the text uh, in its Original language, or or as close as you can get to the original language, the original text, and you can temporize the language uh, and make it presentable to the present generation. A paraphrase is simply restating what someone else said without any scholarship at all. It doesn't mean that it is entirely useless, it just means that it's not always uh, literary, it's not always literarily correct. That there are things within the the, the the literal translation of the scripture that are more accurate than what you would find in a paraphrase. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address starts four score and seven years ago. Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. If I wanted to paraphrase that, I would say 87 years ago America was born. no scholarship no study it's simply taking what president lincoln said putting it in my own words and sticking it out there that's what the that's what the living bible was but since that time we have all kinds of contemporary versions of the scripture you you, you have uh if you don't like the message version you have the niv you have Uh, The Revised Standard Version, you have the New Revised Standard Version, you have the New American Standard Version, and on and on and on. What does that have to do with, with what I'm talking about? Jesus was criticized by the Pharisees, and that's how the text starts. He was criticized by the Pharisees because he took complex things and made it simple. He took complex ideas about God. He took complex doctrinal beliefs about God and he simplified them and, and, and here's the reason why I think people stay away from simple things people think that, 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 that if you make stuff too simple then you eliminate the need for me see I need you to need me I need you to need me to tell you what the scripture says so that you won't go off and read the scripture by yourself without me did you know that God wants us to be able to understand his word apart from anybody else? That, 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 that the need for an intercessor is not a part of God's plan for us? In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, one of the things that, that is described by one of the gospel writers is that as he died, the veil of the temple was torn in two, which meant that no longer was there a need for a priest or a mediator in order for us to understand Uh, or or to enter into the presence of God. The Pharisees enjoy being the mediators. They enjoy being in the position of, of authority and control because when you're the one in charge, you get to make up all the rules. You get to decide who becomes a part of something and who does not become a part of something. Listen to how Luke 15 opens. By this time, A lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. There's a problem with that. There's a problem with with, with the attitude of the Pharisees. Why would you, if people of doubtful reputation started coming to church on Sunday morning, we ought to be happy about that. The regular church folk are, I know you like sitting in your favorite spot, and if you came in and somebody was sitting in your seat, you might be a good person, but The the seat next to you works just fine. Why is it that that the Pharisees would be upset that that these people were coming? Because the Pharisees had decided in their own brand of of theological uh, expertise that these people were incapable of being saved. That they were irredeemable. That they were lost and that there was nothing that could be done to find them. And and and, and so it made them more important to the people. Turning about, I know we're starting with with Luke 15, but I just want you to turn to Matthew chapter 23. Because in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus states his opinion about... Pharisees. Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with the crowd that had gathered with him. The religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. They, t- they talk a good line. But they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals they seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help their lives are perpetual fashion shows embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers prayer petals i'm sorry flowery prayers the next They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees, and getting called doctor and reverend. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Don't let people do that to you. Put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher, and you Are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let Him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of Father. You only have one Father, and He's in heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you and them Christ. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. Let me read just a little bit longer. I've had it with you. You're hopeless, you religion scholars, you Pharisees, frauds. Your lives are roadblocks to God's kingdom. You refuse to enter, and you won't let anyone else in either. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You go halfway around the world to make a convert, but once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourselves, double damned. You're hopeless. What arrogant stupidity. You say if someone makes a promise with his fingers crossed, that's nothing. But if he swears with his hand on the Bible, that's serious. What ignorance. Does the leather on the Bible carry more weight than the skin on your hands? And what about this piece of trivia? If you shake hands on a promise, that's nothing. But if you raise your hand that God is your witness, that's serious. What ridiculous hair splitting. What difference does it make whether you shake hands or raise hands? A promise is a promise. What difference does it make if you make your promise inside or outside a house of worship? A promise is a promise. God is present, watching and holding you to account regardless. I'm trying to get you to understand, Jesus had a problem with Pharisees because Pharisees had a problem with Jesus. And part of the reason why Pharisees had a problem with Jesus was because Jesus was taking their complexity and breaking it down and making it simple much like the message version takes 10th century English and simplifies it so that everybody in here can understand it. You don't need somebody to interpret that for you. It's clear. It's plain. It's right there in front of you. And that's what we should want. But for the Pharisees, that was a problem. Because if everybody can understand it, then I can't manipulate it. That's part of the problem with a lot of this televangelism that goes on today where, where where they're still using the King James Version or the new King James Version which is just one step removed from the old King James Version which means that it's bad minus one they want to use those kinds of texts because then they can tell you what it means because you don't understand it But if you read it from a contemporized version of scripture, it makes it much easier for you to understand. The Pharisees wanted to manipulate it because they wanted to control who went in and out of heaven according to their spirituality. Understand now, this wasn't just about spirituality. This was also about political power. We told you, if not the last time, then the time before last, That Israel was not an independent nation. It was an occupied state, occupied by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire allowed the indigenous people of a land uh, to have certain latitude with self-government as long as they kept the people in line, as long as they kept the people under control. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin council, the religious rulers of that day, were the designated indigenous people to keep Israel in line. Their job was to make sure that there was no confusion, there was no corruption, there was no breaking of the peace. Because if there was breaking of the peace, then the Roman government was ready to step in. And when they stepped in, it was going to be very harshly, very violently, very bitterly. And so the Pharisees not only saw themselves as the religious leaders of the community, but they were also the civil leaders. They kept everybody in line. And how do you keep everybody in line? You follow my rules, you follow my regulations. To the T, and as long as you do what we say, everything is going to be fine. And if you get out of line, then we will deal with you so that they don't have to deal with us. So for the Pharisees, it wasn't just a matter of religion. It was a matter of civil authority and control in the land. And so when Jesus comes along and he starts attracting crowds of folk that the Pharisees have dismissed have said these are bad people you shouldn't You remember when your mama told you don't go play with so and so because they are bad I don't want you going to to so and so's house and if they found you playing with so and so you were going to get in trouble that's the way the Pharisees felt about certain folk don't you play with them don't you talk with them don't you eat with them don't you have nothing to do with them because if I find out that you did then I'm going to have to deal with you by this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently, and that irritated them. It's one thing to be irritated. It's another thing to pronounce that what Jesus was doing was wrong, and that's what they did. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends understand having a meal with these people took on special significance that's true even today you might speak to somebody but you ain't gonna go sit down and and, and eat with everybody are you go ahead tell the truth and go to heaven <laughs> you, you you know you ain't gonna sit down and eat with everybody there, there there are certain folk you you wave to and you hope that's all you you do you hope you hope they don't get but so close hey keep on going uh, uh, there are certain folk you don't mind shaking hands with and holding a, a two-minute conversation. Then there are a handful of folk that you don't mind having a meal with, but you don't want the folk that you just wave to to end up at your dinner tape. Pharisees said that he's eating with them. Eating took on special significance. It meant that I accept you. I embrace you. I embrace you in the totality of who you are. I'm not demanding that you be what I say you need to be. I'm giving you the opportunity to listen to me, and then it's up to you to decide whether or not you will accept or reject what it is that we are discussing. Pharisee says he shouldn't accept them. To that, Jesus responds with a parable. Look at verse 4. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders rejoicing, and when you got home, call in friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me, I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over ninety-nine good people in no need of rescue. Now understand, when Jesus, that that, that last part where he says ninety-nine good people in no need of rescue, that's Jesus sticking the knife into the Pharisees. Because they didn't think that they needed to be helped. They they, they thought that they had it all already. They they didn't think that that there was anybody who could do anything to assist them, because they were not in any need of assistance. So they comprised the ninety-nine that, that, that have no need of rescue. But Jesus says how is it that you can rejoice over one sheep? If you got a hundred and one runs away, hides, wanders off, and you still got ninety-nine, ninety-nine percent is pretty good, isn't it? Isn't that an on an exam? Last time I took tests, ninety-nine was, was, was was pretty good so 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 jesus is saying you wouldn't even accept 99 percent the value of that one lost sheep is so much that you would leave think about this you got 99 you know where they are but you're going to leave them and go hunt for one When you think about it, I mean, when you really think about it, does that even make sense? But, 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 but Jesus says that's what you Pharisees would do. Understand? Jesus is not talking about people. Understand? I said there are three parables in in, in this 15th chapter. The first two have nothing to do with people. They have to do with things. Keep that in mind. All the way to next week when we get to the third parable. Things were more important than people. You would leave 99 sheep and go hunt for one. You would make a thing more important than a person. Not only would you, would you leave the 99 and go hunt for the one, but when you found it, you would schedule a party Get out your cell phone, text all your folk, tell them, come on, buy the house. We're going to barbecue. Now, understand, you will spend more money because you found the one sheep than the one sheep is worth. Jesus is making a point. That's how much you value stuff over people. Understand something else about this parable that's important. How did the sheep get lost? The sheep wandered away. Wandering away does not mean that you didn't have the sheep in the right place in the first place. It means that somehow, even the best of us sometimes take our eyes off of things. And before have you ever had to watch more than one child at a time? And you thought you knew where they all were? And you thought they knew what they were all doing? Only to find out that they had gone off the moment your back was turned, they had gone off and done something else. The sheep got lost not because the owner was negligent but because he couldn't keep his eye on all hundred sheep all the time. Keep that in mind because that's important. Because he's saying the, the, the owner felt a certain degree of responsibility to go and retrieve that which had wandered off. But for us, theologically speaking, it helps us to understand that there are different kinds of lostness. And the first kind of lostness that Jesus lifts up is a lostness as a result of one wandering away. Now, question could be asked, what would cause the sheep to wander away? The answer is I don't know because I ain't an expert in sheep. But I do know this. We wander away all the time. It ain't that we don't know no better. It ain't that we don't know where the crowd is. Sometimes we don't want to be where the crowd is. Sometimes we want to go our own way. Sometimes our curiosity, hear that, sometimes our curiosity causes us to go in directions that we really ain't got no business going. Ooh, what's that? Ooh, let me see where this leads. Ooh, let me see how this will work. And before you know it, you have been estranged. You have been separated from the fold. Regardless, Jesus says to the Pharisees, if you are willing to go after a lost sheep, but you're mad about lost people being found, then your priorities are in the wrong place doesn't stop there verse 8 or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one won't she light a lamp and scour the house looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it and when she finds it you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors celebrate with me I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. Just as the sheep rancher would be touched by the loss of but one sheep, the loss of part of the family finances would deeply touch the woman of the house. If you got ten coins and that's all you got, one is important. You ever mislay $50, $20? I I was working my way down, okay? $5. You you, you ever start turning chairs over and moving sofa cushions for $5, for $2, for a dollar? because we place high value on that coin. It, it, it is believed by Bible scholars that that this, this lost coin would represent about a day's wages, that, 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 that she had 10 coins, each coin represented a day's wages. So by losing a coin, she had lost a tenth of her earnings over the last 10 days now again somebody who's got a whole lot of money would say okay well it ain't but one coin you still got nine more but for this person the value of this coin was so great look at the language jesus used she will light a lamp and scour the house and look in every nook and cranny until she finds it because that coin has value Y'all, y'all ever watch the, 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 the Chris Rock show? Uh, the one where he, uh, everybody hates Chris. I, I, I love the father in that show. If they spilled milk on the table, he'd say, that's 76 cents worth of milk you spilled. <laughs> if, if, if they tore uh, a, a piece of fabric, that's $2.41. That, that, that you just cost me. He had a dollar value for everything in the house. And and while you're laughing at him, some of us got a dollar value for everything. We place high monetary value on everything that we have. And so many of us agree with this woman who's scouring the house and turning on the lamp and looking in every nook and cranny in order to find the lost coin and we too would celebrate the finding of the coin I don't know if we call all our friends to let them know that we found money that we lost but Jesus is trying to build up a point now theologically there he lifts up a second kind of lostness and the second kind of lostness is different from the first remember in the first case the sheep was lost because the sheep wandered away from the fold the sheep, of his own accord, got caught up in his own curiosity. And, 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 and while the fold went one way, the sheep went the other. And so he became estranged. In the case of the coin, coins are inanimate objects. Coins can't lose themselves. The only way that a coin gets lost is that the owner mislays it. I fuss at my son all the time because. He gets mad when he can't find his keys. He gets mad at the keys. Because he can't find them. As though keys can move on their own. He ain't the only one like that. So somebody else is like. We blame inanimate objects. When really the, the, the culprit is us. This woman. Lost the coin because she mislaid it. She mishandled it. She put it someplace and forgot where she put it. That's very. That's a very different kind of losses than the first one. In the first case, the sheep wanders off. In the second case, you mislaid it. You miss. He's getting closer to, a, to to home. He's getting closer. To, remember who he's talking to? Talking to the Pharisees. He's saying that. If there are so many lost folk, if there are so many people that have been written off within our society, who's the one who lost them? If you're the religious authorities, if if you are the experts, if you are the ones that everyone is supposed to be looking to and following your lead, then if they are lost, is it not because you mislaid it? Not only is that a message for the Pharisees, it's a message for the church. We can't always get mad at at lost folk because they lost. Some of them are lost because we mislaid them. Some of them are lost because we mistreated them. Some of them are lost because when they came, we weren't kind. We weren't hospitable. We weren't welcoming. When they had trouble, and, and, and if you've been lost, the great likelihood is you're going to have some trouble. We weren't compassionate toward the trouble that they had. And so part of the reason why they have been misled, part of the reason why we looked around and we can't find them is because we didn't do a good enough job of keeping up with what was entrusted into our care. It is the church's responsibility to keep everyone that God entrusts into our care. Do you remember the the, the prayer that Jesus prays on his way to Gethsemane as he leaves the upper room? John 17, the only one of the gospel accounts that records the prayer. Jesus is praying to his father and he talks about the fact that I have not lost any that you have given into my hand. All the ones that you gave me, I still have. Can the church say that? Can the church say that all that God has put into our hands, we have kept? Or must we admit that we've lost some? That that they didn't wander away. We mislaid them. We mistreated them. Nonetheless, in order to, to shame the Pharisees even more, Jesus says, You will look for money and celebrate the gathering of money, but you won't celebrate the salvation of people. There's something wrong with a heart and with a mind that values stuff more than people. In, in the noon Bible study, we've been talking for the last several weeks about uh, giving generously. Uh, we, we we we've we've tried to elevate the the spiritual conversation away from mere stewardship uh, to to an attitude and a posture and a spirit of generosity because what the bible teaches goes beyond stewardship stewardship is an obligation stewardship is something that we do because we owe but generosity is a step beyond that in that generosity says that not only do I recognize that I should do it, I want to do it. I am, I, I am freely disposed and, and highly motivated to do it in recognition for what God has done for me. And one of the points that, 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 that we tried to make today is, is that one of the things that trips us up in the church, we were talking about the, 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 the rich farmer who Jesus tells in, in Luke chapter 12, tells, us, tells his story how he got a bountiful harvest and goes out of his way to keep it, wouldn't share it with anybody, wouldn't even leave the gleanings of the field. He, he didn't have enough room in his barns for it all, so he said, I'm going to tear down my old barns and I'm going to build new ones just so I can keep it all to myself and 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 then he said it's funny the way uh peterson puts it in the message version he says he he held a conversation with himself and he said self you can retire now self you got enough money self you got enough stuff self you you, you can sit back and relax and eat drink and be merry.'" And the point that we we were making is that the problem that Jesus was lifting up in the parable was that this farmer had confused the blessing with the blesser. And I fear that that's a problem that we have today. We live in a very materialistic world. We live in a very capitalistic society. We live in a world where we value things more than we value people. We value things more than we value God. That song that, that we sing, if he doesn't do anything else for me, he's done enough. Y'all don't mean that when y'all say it. Y'all need to stop singing that song. That's a lie. You don't mean it when you say If he never does anything else for me, he's done enough. No. Because if he stopped doing it, you'd have a fit All of a sudden, you go from, if he never does anything else for me, he's done enough. You go to Job. Where is he? I'm looking for him. I can't find him. I look to my left. I look to my right. He's nowhere to be found. So we need to stop saying that. And our problem is we, we, we place a lot of value in our stuff. And we think that our stuff is more important than the one who gave us the stuff. And Jesus wants us to understand that if you have a right relationship with God the right relationship with God puts stuff in its proper priority so turn back in your Bibles I wouldn't planning it on doing this turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 not far from where you were turn to Luke chapter 12 look at the, look at the, the, the latter verses of Luke chapter 12 Starting with verse 22. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them if God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you? Do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Did you hear that? Not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality. God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. The problem that that Jesus is confronting the Pharisees with is that they place more value in material things. Than they do in people. In both the case of the lost sheep that wandered away, in case of the lost, in the case of the lost coin, which was mislaid, misplaced, mishandled. In both cases, Jesus says that the one who lost it goes out of their way and puts in extra effort in order to find it. Won't be satisfied until it's found. And then when it's found, has this super celebration because of one lost sheep that was recovered and one lost coin that was recovered. And yet, the Pharisees are upset that Jesus is finding lost people We have to be careful. The the whole point in in, in going over these parables is for us to see ourselves in the stories that Jesus is telling. And so I I confront you. I ask you, are you more concerned with stuff than you are with God's blessing? Are you more concerned about stuff than you are about people? You do know that we're here to reach out to people. People. We're here to make a difference in the lives of people. We're here to have an impact in people's lives with the love of Christ. And you can't have a positive impact in people's lives if people are always getting on your nerves. I don't like people. I wish people would leave me alone. That's how churches die. Because they take you up on it. And they leave you alone. I've lived in this city just about all my life. And, and, and I have seen churches rise and fall. And a lot of it had not to do with the fact that they weren't sincere. I'm not saying that they weren't sincere. I'm saying they got lost in what, as to what was important. And all of a sudden, stuff became more important than people, than relationships. All of a sudden, making sure that everybody's on the same page is more important than making sure that everybody knows who God is. Did you know that you can know God and not be on the same page with the one sitting next to you? That's why I get mad all these people. about shake your neighbor's hand. I don't want to shake my neighbor's hand. I want to hear what God has to say. I don't want to high-five three people. I want to hear what God is saying. And I can't hear what God is saying if I stop every 10 seconds to go run around and shake somebody's hand or high-five somebody. I want to hear what God is saying because the, 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 the primary thing is learning how to have the mind of Christ. And having the mind of Christ means... That your love and your concern for people takes priority over everything else. Well, what if they're wrong? God will make them right. Did you know that you can't make wrong folk right? You can't. You You can tell people what right is. But right is between them and God. And so if we decide we're going to put out all the folk who ain't right, be careful. Because pretty soon they're going to get around to you. You know, there, there was a time back, back in, our, in our history, and I'm, I'm not talking about childhood history, back in the history of, of, of the Baptist church, when we were very strict about certain things. You couldn't take the Lord's Supper. There there were some churches that had what was called closed communion. Y'all know what closed communion is? Closed communion meant that if you weren't baptized in that church where they had a record that you were baptized in that church, you you, you would not be given the Lord's Supper when the Lord's Supper was served. It was closed to just the members of the church. And in some places, practiced what was called modified closed communion, which meant if somebody could vouch for you, then they'd go ahead and let you have the Lord's Supper. We've come a long, a long way. All y'all know about the mourners, Bench, even if you ain't old enough to, to have... To have been a part of it. You've heard enough about the mourner's bench where, where, where you had to convince everybody that you heard something, saw something. And you know, most of the time, you were lying about what you heard and saw. You just wanted to get up off that bench. And and, and there were certain folk in the church who would listen to what you said. And then they say, no, you ain't got it yet. Go back. We've come a long, we've come a long way. I bring that up because some of us still believe that we, we ought to be able to tell other folk how they worship the Lord. And if they don't worship the Lord the way we think they ought to worship the Lord, then we don't want them to be a part of us. When we do that, we are are closing ourselves off to what God would have us do, and we are placing more value on stuff. Well, what stuff are you placing value on? You're placing value on the integrity of your church. And I like saying it that way, church. As opposed to the individuals that comprise the local congregation. Let me make something clear to you. And this is not meant to insult anybody. It's just a statement of fact because it includes me. We ain't got no integrity. You ain't got no integrity. You think you do? You mad at me? Because look how quiet you got when I said that. You think you got integrity. You ain't got no integrity. You know how I know you ain't got no integrity? Because the Bible says so. All have sinned. All. Have sinned, not, not not unless you think you so big, bad, and bold that you don't fit inside all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You ain't got no integrity. There is none righteous. No, not one. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. You ain't got no integrity. Man that is born of a woman hath but a short time to live. And that is filled with much trouble. You ain't got no integrity. When I would do good, evil is present on every hand. And I I find that that there are things I know I shouldn't do that I go on and do. And there are things that I know I should do that I leave undone. So how are you going to start talking about how much integrity You got the Bible makes it clear over and over and over and over and over again. You ain't got no integrity. Jesus has integrity. The Lord that we serve has integrity. And the one who has integrity is the one who calls all of us in. Here's the thing. You don't get to decide with your no integrity self who don't belong in God's church. That's the point Jesus is making to these Pharisees. Jesus is not saying that the Pharisees don't know the law of Moses. In the Matthew passage that we read, he gives them credit. Yeah, they know the law of Moses. They understand it completely. Here's the problem. While they know what the word says, they don't know how to use it. Because if they were really concerned with how to use it, they wouldn't be celebrating the fact that we found stuff and condemning the fact that there were lost people out there who were trying to get found. Some folk like to, like to think that, that they were jealous of Jesus because of what the text says. It says that they were hanging around Jesus and that the Pharisees wanted them to hang around them. No, not if you knew the Pharisees. They didn't want them hanging around them at all. They thought they were too good. Did I tell you what, 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 what the Pharisees used to pray every day? <laughs> like Pharisees would pray every day I'm glad I'm not a sinner. Uh-huh. I'm glad I'm not a Gentile. I'm glad I'm not a woman. Ooh. Think about that. <laughs> think, think about that. Everybody else, y'all know somebody who thinks they're better than everybody else. I just hope it ain't you. I see all y'all nodding your heads. I'm just, I just hope it ain't, it ain't you. And and, and, and so Jesus. Tells them that, that your problem is that your priorities are in the wrong place. And he says, contrary to the God that you say you represent, while you celebrate found sheep and while you celebrate found coins, twice Jesus says, God and heaven celebrate found souls. Verse 7. Count on it, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Verse 10, that's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. Here's the thing that that, that Jesus is, is trying to lift up. He's trying to lift up this idea that it's one thing to know the word it's another thing to know how to use the word and, and and we ought to not be satisfied with being able to memorize and recite the word we ought to want to live the word I've told you before that there, there, there was a preacher friend of mine who told me me the story that when he was at the door uh, after a Sunday morning, shaking hands with folk, one one of his parishioners came to the door and said, "Preacher, I really enjoyed that sermon. I just wish I could use some of that stuff in the real world." Think about what that means. Think about what that means. That means that for many of us, when we come in here, we divorce ourselves from our reality. And we think of this place as some kind of unreal fantasy place where everything works out fine in here, but none of what we learn in here is applicable out there. You wanna know why you got so-called Christian folks supporting a racist, xenophobe like Donald Trump? Because they leave their religion right in here They sing just as I am without one plea, but they don't mean it from their heart. They recite God so of the world that he gave his only begotten son, but they don't mean it from their heart. They have no Identification with Jesus' words in Luke chapter 4 when he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to come and set free those who were bound and to give the blind their sight and to make the sick well. That's our job. But like fantasy land, we walk in here and we hear it and we say amen and we nod our heads and we go, mm-hmm, and we say, hope, hope you, he's hurry. he's going to finish up real fast. But then we leave it all in here. See, that man who met my friend at the door and said that, he was more honest than a lot of us. Because a lot of us know what's right. We've heard it for years. You didn't just hear it tonight. You've been hearing it for decades. But you don't care about that. Because for some reason it doesn't work in the real world for you. Maybe it doesn't work because what you're looking for isn't what God intended maybe when you say it's not working what you really meant is it's not working the way I want it to work I ain't turning the other cheek I don't care what you say I ain't doing it. I'm tired of I'm tired of turning cheeks and getting hit on on both cheeks I, I, I'm not gonna forgive forgive who until they come to me and ask me for forgiveness to my satisfaction? Because when they ask you for forgiveness, you don't really mean it. You're just saying it. No. Our problem is we leave it all in here. We, 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 we shake it off as we walk out the door and go back right out into the world. Which means that what you've done in here doesn't, doesn't matter. It's not helping you. Because you, you leave it here. My father used to say all the time before he would uh, uh, dismiss church, don't leave the spirit of the worship behind. Y'all remember that? Yeah. Carry it with you. Feast upon it as you go back out into it. That's your job. Our job is to give it. Your job is to take it and use it. But when you think that lost folk are less important than lost stuff, when you think that your personal integrity is more important than reaching to lost people, when you think that things are more important than relationships, then it's not just them that are lost, but you're lost too. Next week when we get back together, we're we're, we're going to, to look at the parable of the lost son and the interesting thing about the parable of the lost son most of us stop when the boy comes home and daddy says bring the rings and bring the robe and, and, and get the fatted calf so that we can have the celebration that, that, that's where we stop but there's more to the story and Jesus talks about the brother who never left home And the point is, I'm telling you this in case you don't show up next week because I might have bothered you too much this week. The point of the story is that some of us are as lost at home as others of us are lost trying to get home. Now, you tell me which one is worse. Is it worse to be outside trying to get in or is it worse to be inside and not knowing who you are and what God wants you to do? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that Thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I... Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good night.